Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. My guest this week is a guy who's a pretty familiar face and name on network television circles, if you will. He's worked at various networks, CNN Sports. He was with the Golf Channel as the lead anchor and host of much of their programming. And also with NBA TV, a lot of the Turner properties. He's been in network television for now 30 years, but he got his start right here in Northeast Ohio. In fact, he got his start at the TV station where I am employed, WJW, here in Cleveland. And I'm speaking of Vince Cellini, a product of the streets of Collinwood, Ohio. He went to Cathedral Latin, graduated from there, and also went on to college at the College of Worcester. And it was there as a senior at the College of Worcester. He came to this TV station as an intern. And this doesn't happen much, folks. Not many people go from being an intern in a major market back in 1982. This market of Cleveland, Ohio was among the top 10 in the country. And not many people go from being an intern at a TV station as a senior to becoming fully employed by that station on the air immediately, and he started to impress people right from the get-go. Started his career at Channel 8 back, I believe, in 1982, and he was with us for seven years. A lot of fun working with Vinny, and then we're very, very blessed to know that he was going to further his career when he up and left Cleveland in 89 and went to CNN Sports, and he's been with national broadcast entities ever since. We had a nice little chat. Hope you enjoy it. Vince Cellini on this week's edition of Tellage Talks. Vince Cellini, voice from the past, but one of the stars of network television of the present and the future. Vinny, welcome to the show. JT, always good to be with you, buddy. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Everything is good. And I think most of our folks that are listening may want to get the story going back several years, let's say 30 years, perhaps, almost to the day, or at least the year, when you were kind of frustrated in your, your, your jobs here at Fox 8 at WJW at the time, and you relocated, you made a big jump. And w- so what was the impetus for that, to jump from Cleveland to Atlanta and to CNN? And, and how well, hard was that for you? Well, we'll go back to the, the old WJW, the TV, the, you know, the CBS eight mm-hmm. days, I guess. And I want people to know that, you know, what a wonderful opportunity I had coming out of the college of Worcester to be able to intern there with really no TV background and to learn from a number one station, a strong number one, and uh, to basically in less than a year or maybe a little over a year, become the weekend anchor there uh, for mm-hmm. sports, which was an enormous jump. And a guy and a kid who was very green um, you helped me so much. I learned about television writing and presentation and packaging and storytelling. And, you know, you were a wonderful influence for me because I asked you a million questions and I watched you closely. And, you, you know, you have a passion for the work. So everything's great. And I grow into the job and it's really, I'm about seven years into doing weekends. And if you're in yeah. your 20s, you, you know, really at that time, I, I gave up a lot of my weekends in my 20s because yeah. I... I loved, I wanted to do this so badly ever since I was a little kid. So I felt like I was living my dream and I was in my hometown and covering the Browns and what amazing stories were taking place and watching them in all those AFC championships. And, you know, it it was really wonderful. And um, however, 
you know, I felt like I, I was getting frustrated. I was pushing 30 and I said, you know, I'd really like to do more. I, I don't want to say necessarily I want to unseat anyone, but I wanted to do more in my career. And I felt like I was certainly capable of more at that point. And I felt like there may have been a faction or two in the news uh, department that was resistant to pushing me out there to do um, maybe Monday through Friday or do more. And it wasn't just that it was, it was really not being a part of some of the Browns coverage and preseason and things like that. And I felt like, you know, if I, I I'm going to look around and I want to see what's out there. Cause I think, I think I'm pretty decent and I just wanted to see what the landscape was like out there. And uh, so I aggressively sent out some tapes and CNN sports was had an opening in Atlanta. I had a brother who lived in Atlanta and a cousin. And uh, went down for an interview and very quickly uh, was offered a job on the staff. And uh, so that was part of it. It was very difficult because I had a, a nine-month-old son. Um, my wife is also a native Clevelander. Lisa grew up right, right in Cleveland, as you know. And so she had never been away and, you know, family there in Cleveland. So the world was maybe a little bit smaller 30 years ago than, or bigger, I should say, than it, it is today. But you know, we took the leap of faith and um, went to CNN and had to up my game. And, and that's really why I did this. It wasn't that I didn't love my hometown. It wasn't that I didn't love where I worked and the sure. people. But I just felt like if I didn't do it at that time, I said, I may not do it. And so, I, you know, I just sent it out there and things seemed to fall into place. Well, Vinny, like I recognize that. I mean, you had such and still do have great talent. You're quick witted. You're you're funny, you and you think on your feet so well. And I just kind of felt back then you just you weren't getting the opportunity to show that. So you go to an operation that's kind of like a maverick uh, thing down there in Atlanta. You had a great <laughs> core, didn't you? Had a great core. You were fighting the boys over at ESPN on a nightly basis. You had <laughs> yeah. Freddie, you know, you had Freddie, and you had you know you could name all the guys that you work with. But it was kind of a, a almost the wild, wild west of network, let's go at each other, um, cable television. Well, at that point, at that point, people have to remember that CNN Sports launched before ESPN. Uh, We were actually on the air before that, and we had such a strong staff. I mean, John, you may not, you know, you may remember me as such a humble young man back in those days with uh, very little confidence. But (laughs) I show up in Atlanta, and I I am surrounded by talent like Nick Charles, Fred Hickman, Jim Huber, uh, Gary Miller, Dan Hicks, Hannah Storm. And I'm just like, wow, I, I really need to up my game. And the thing I realized right about, about doing it on a network level was every story is someone's lead story. So that C block story uh, is very important to someone because that's, their, that's really their A block story. And yeah. it was about being accurate about college football fields and, and, and the names of stadiums and teams and knowing traditions and baseball. And so you had to really, really a, a, a lot of preparation. And really the challenge of, which I, I loved, I love working with talented people because I think it, you know, it's, it makes me better. Sure. Um, just really, really working a tandem on a set and, and things like that. And so um, a lot of reps early on, a lot of solo, 2.30 a.m.s, which were the 11.30 p.m. show, uh, solo mm-hmm. those right away. And so it, it really is about upping your game. And like you said, we were competing with ESPN back then. I mean, we were, you know, at 11 or 11.30 and then the, the 2.30 shows. So we were, you know, we were in their wheelhouse. And I thought we were toe-to-toe with them, certainly. Um, in, in that in that era, from the late 80s and through the probably the mid 90s. 
And I can remember what Dan Patrick, I was covering Cleveland state uh, taking on Navy after they're on their great run in 1986. And he and I were battling for us for a payphone in the concourse <laughs> of, uh, of uh, the arena when Cleveland state was playing Navy and almost knocked Navy off in the Admiral. But so he had, he had a background at your old, at your shop as well. He goes to ESPN. He and, um, you know, the, the, he and Keith have that great duo. But you guys had like a wave of talent that seemed like everybody was in many ways kind of on equal footing, whereas at ESPN it seemed like it was Dan and it was Keith and then it was everybody else. Is that kind of yeah, a fair? I, fair? I, I, I can't speak directly to ESPN because I'm not as familiar with them, but I guess – um, you know, from an outsider, you, you do see a pecking order uh, that was probably in place. But for us, I mean, Nick and Fred were always the guys. And really, Jim Huber and Nick, those guys invented the half-hour cable sports news show. Yeah. I mean, no one had a formula for it. They kind of came up with it. And they were, Nick and Fred were kind of, you know, loosey-goosey and fun, and it was styling. And they were the edgier. And I think, and by the way, Keith Oberman also started at CNN. Sport oh, I did well. not know that. Yeah, okay. he was right. in the New York Bureau, and yeah, as did Dan Patrick. So they have some DNA from um, the old uh, CNN Sports days as well. So, um, but yeah, we were we were probably a little edgier, maybe a little more fun. We had play of the day, and we we probably took a few more chances, and it was more of a, a group thing. I think we, there was a pecking order, but it was unspoken where I worked, and you know we were all in this together. I got to say, John, it was the best job. It was so much fun to go to work. We had fun it was lively there was an energy every single night there were guys playing wiffle ball in there we were you know betting on home runs who would hit a home run put a quarter in the basket and it was just a really well uh oiled machine in terms of cranking out highlights relying on the other guy great production great producing and uh very professional so i i grew a lot as a broadcaster there a lot a whole lot and mm-hmm. particularly when i went from just doing shows to hosting shows and hosting Calling All Sports, which was the, a call-in show that I did there, which was a working without a net for the first time and giving opinion when you're taught not to give opinion and sure. you know getting getting a little bit of a following that we had at that time. So all of these great things, you know, it just goes to show you, you take a chance and good things. All these great things happen to me professionally uh, through CNN Sports and TNT, I should say. Well, you don't go to CNN unless you have the guts to make the move from Cleveland. And that's what I kind of want to point out to young people. If you're stuck in a job and you don't have an opportunity, you think you're butting your head against the wall, there are opportunities if you have the guts to make the move, and that's what it takes. And you you, are, you had the fortitude and um, the drive to be successful, uh, to not let that wall st- stand in your way. Uh, tear down that wall. You wanted to make your own way and, and it takes something to do that. Well, it is tough. And I think, you know how Cleveland is, it's hard to leave Cleveland because it's a, you know, it's, it's generational and it, and it's a, there's a comfort aspect uh, to yeah. being in Cleveland um, because we're, it's a, there's a familiarity and, but you know, I, I was just determined to try to see what I could be at that point. And I bet on myself and I thought, let me see, you know, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And, and, and thank God I did because it just was a springboard for everything else that happened to me professionally. Well, one of the things that the springboard uh, uh, availed for you was the opportunity to be the lead guy to kind of run 
um, the on-air presentation of the Golf Channel. What year did you go there, and I, how, how was that opportunity for you? Um, well, I left CNN. Basically, uh, dissolved sports because the new network changeover at management yeah. level decided that if there was a sports story, it would be covered by by news. They wanted to go 24-hour sports, and and despite the fact that CNN Sports was still getting a, a good number every night yeah. in its in its time slot, um, because it was it was appointment viewing, um, but um, eventually, I did news. I did news for about five months um, on CNN through 9/11. Yeah, you were and, there the day of. Yeah. Yes, and um, then they offered a news contract, but it wasn't very clear as to what the role would be. And um, they also offered uh, a buyout, and so I, I, gr- I grabbed a buyout. My kids were little, and um, I thought, let me, let me do this. Let me enjoy my kids because actually, boy, by that time, and this is like 2000, I guess 2001. Or 2002, um, I had been working pretty steady for 20 years, and not, you know, and I had little kids, and I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to spend time with my family and do all those things, travel, coaching, things that I wanted to do with my family, right, and uh, be able to do that, and then reset afterwards. So once I did that, and I was a highest-paid little league coach in America for <laughs> for a year, I I uh, went back to golf channel golf channel beckoned, and I thought. I was never the golf guy. Jim Huber was always the golf guy at um, the SCN. Jim yes. Huber, the SCS. Yes. yes. And I went down there and same thing. I mean, this is like being dropped from a helicopter into the, the golfiest of golf people. Wow. And it's, I spent the first six months as my family was still in the process of moving, pouring over books, stories, tournaments, reading history. I would sit at my bed in my apartment and just, read about the history of golf and some of the history of the game and, and ingratiate myself with the levels of tours, um, what, it, what it meant to win one tournament to get to another, um, what the different tours meant, the different uh, amateur events, the different international events. So I was like going, you know, it was like cramming for the bar for golf. <laughs> and uh, it took me about a year to, to understand that it. it really did. Um, but as it is, golf, which was never, you know, my number one thing, was again great opportunity took me all over the world became the host of big break which was their uh their competition for for professional reality yeah their reality show and um hosted um um, the uh panel shows hosted um the live froms and again it was it was was a wonderful opportunity and it then i had golf on my resume so it was another tool in the tool belt for me so that turned out to be a great thing how was that just uh, be, being the kind of the face of the golf channel? Uh, and I'm sure there were some hardcore golf people uh, that might have met, you might have met a little resistance or possibly from those saying, what the hell does he know about golf? He, what's his handicap? Come on. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, I think there was probably a little bit of that uh, initially. But the one thing that really helped me, especially when I started to go out to events on the PGA tour and cover it with the guys was the familiarity with CNN sports. So they sort of knew me through that. And that helped in terms of the credibility aspect, even if I was more of a, I don't want to use the word novice, but more of a less experienced golf Golf reporter. Mm -hmm. So they trusted me as a journalist and a broadcast journalist. They trusted me as a (laughs) broadcaster. And so that, that broke that down a little bit more. Um, as far as the, the, the trust was involved. However, let me tell you, John, you know, golf is like NASCAR is like trying to do MMA or trying to do yeah. uh, formula one. 
if you don't really know what you're talking about, oh, you boy. can be exposed in a hurry. You know Very this. much so. Yes. So yes. You, the audience yes. has to, you have to, yes, uh, have that credibility with the audience and, uh, and with the players as well. Well, you obviously had a great rapport with the players and did that gig for, you know, a good chunk of years and along the way really developed a very fluid hosting style. Give me your philosophies on just how, how you approach being the host of an event as opposed to just being on the sports and reading three minutes mm-hmm. worth of, of copy or doing a radio show where you're interviewing someone. There's kind of an art to it, and, uh, and it takes a, I think it takes a lot of prep and obviously talent and, and just a person that can be relaxed in front of the camera. Well, I definitely think there is a, a skill level involved, and I think it's a craft to be able to do that. I, I found myself being continually slotted into some of these host roles. Um, that was what I always would end up being. And, and I think part of that, like you said, it's, it's tons of preparation. You have to know your material inside and out so that you can react to any situation that comes up. Uh, two, I think you have to be a guy who can traffic cop. You have to be able yeah. to organize your panel, know who you're working with. Geez, a golf channel. I mean, I had Frank Navalo and Brando Chambly. I mean, those guys were like, I could ask those guys, you know, what time it was. And they would, you know, I get great answers. Um, but it's, it's listening. It's being a good listener because, as you know, John, when you have an analyst, don't be so worried about your next topic. Listen to what they say, and that could take you to where you have to go. But it's, um, it's being able to dip in and out. I never thought as a host that, it, that anybody really cared what I thought. I think mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just there to direct it and to, at the end, button things up and move it along to the next subject. So that's what, that's what I try to do. I try to stick and move, stay out of the way, be prepared, ask good questions, and utilize my analyst. And there were times I would go to my analyst beforehand and say, do you think this is a good topic? Is this a good question for you? Do you think yeah. this is somewhere we should go? And, and then they have ownership of it as well. Right. Ra- rather than think that I will dictate everything like a, you know, some sort of a, you know, I'm the captain of the ship or something. I mean, I, think, yeah. I, think you're as good as, I think you're as good as the other guys you're working with. And when I have great analysts, man, I just lean on them. It's, 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 it's easy to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. How about now you, you, uh, you get into the NBA and uh, you're working for, you know, the Turner properties. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure of the umbrella. Um, and how did that opportunity come about? And I would imagine just the degree of fun uh, uh, that you would have with the league. <laughs> athletes are such personalities. And you got Charles and, and Shaq and the guys in Atlanta doing their show and Ernie. I mean, not a bad atmosphere, I would imagine. No, no, no. Around or through. That was that. I left Golf Channel, and then I decided to come back to Atlanta. And when I did, I did the Hawks broadcast on Fox Sports South for a year, mm-hmm. uh, where I would, in the second half of the season, traveled with the Hawks, and we did our pre-post, pre-halftime, and post-game. So I did that, and I was also doing some work with CNN uh, as sort of an interim reporter, and I started filling in on on NBA TV as a um, freelance host. And I would fill in on dates because I studied the NBA every night for the Hawks. So I knew the NBA. I knew all the teams. I knew the personnel. So it was easy for me to transition over to them. And then, you know, going from golf, which is a little more buttoned up. I mean, you can have fun. But then going to the NBA where the studio was just, you know, it was a mayhem with Shaq and Dennis Scott and Steve Smith and, 
you know, all the guys. And it was very, you know, it was just really a lot of fun. However, it was also, you know, good analysis as well. I mean, when you get Coach Fratello in there and Brent Berry and, and those guys breaking it down, and that, listen, I'm in there with Hall of Famers, Isaiah yeah. Thomas and Shaq and Grant Hill. And, the, I mean, these guys are, again, you defer to them and you ask them the question. The tough part about sometimes hosting there, and this was a little bit of a curveball I had to learn, was okay. in, the middle, in the middle of a show, you may be doing highlights, and in your ear you think, hey, we've got, uh, we got Draymond Green live. He's on, he's on satellite. He's coming up right after these highlights wrap, and then we'll go. So you're transitioning from that and then have to be prepared to talk, about, to, talk to Draymond Green about tonight's game. And, you know, that's also a little bit of a, a, little bit of a skill thing um, yeah. as well. But, but fun and challenging. And then, again, button that up and talk about that. We filled a lot of time on those NBA nights. Those yeah, I mean, were, how, many, how many hours were you on the air? Initially, John, sometimes you signed up for the whole night. If you were signed up for the whole night, you were on from 7 or 7.30 until the last game was played on the West Coast, which wow. could be two. <laughs> wow, it was a, a lot of it was a group. And then we all lobbied for, let's split these nights, because this is crazy. By the end of the night, you were – you were bonkers. You know, I didn't even know where I was by the time we got to one, one o'clock in the morning. So, so you like six, seven hours of TV. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And, and, and they would rerun some of the segments to give us a little bit of a mini break, but yeah. And you know, but you get a 12 game night. That's a lot of basketball brother. And you have to know when you dip into those games for, for a live look, what ha- that I would prepare for at least two hours, sometimes longer for every time I was on the air because I had to know, I would, I would do a synopsis of each one of those games, knowing the trends, knowing who was hurt, knowing win streaks, knowing who they had next, so that you could have uh, information to pass along while you're dipping into those games and being able to recognize players in the highlight by number. Yeah. So, and not just, not just by number, but by mannerisms and by, yeah, of course, you know, you know yes. how, obviously, obviously how they handle the ball and, and, of course. Uh, yeah, all of that stuff. I mean, it's a it's a tremendous amount of preparation. I just don't think uh, people are aware. Um, but the league really does lend itself for the fun factor, and so that rubs off on you guys. Maybe some wacky thing that happened um, along the sidelines at a game, or Will Ferrell playing a security guard at the Spectrum or at the halftime shows, or, yeah, games, yeah. and uh, yeah. Yeah. who came in. You know, one of the fun things was, you know, what guys were wearing when they came to the game that night. You'd see guys come in and, you know, Russell Westbrook would have a shredded T-shirt and, you know, <laughs> you know, hot pants on or something. I don't know, whatever. So <laughs> you'd have short shorts on. But um, it, that, that, was, that, was a, um, that was a lot of fun. I worked with really good guys and guys that, uh, you know, being able, to, being able to be in Cleveland – the night they yeah. won was really one of the all-time thrills for me. Um, yeah. And it was tough for me, John, because it was Father's Day. I think it was your birthday. Was it your birthday? My, it was a day or two uh, after my birthday, but it was okay. Father's Day the 19th, I think. Or, yeah, and my so birthday's it, the 17th. So I'm standing there as they clinch, and people are weeping around me. I mean, people are it going was, nuts in that It had to be nuts. It was insanity. People were hugging, and you know, grown men were crying. So then I start thinking about my dad and yeah. cause it's father's day. And then I start thinking about my kids and the fact that I really can't remember. Cause I was five when the, when the Browns were you know, four, maybe <laughs> yeah. five. And I don't remember that, but this is the first one that there's going to be a parade and, and it's a real championship. And so I'm starting to get, 
you know, verklempt. I'm starting yeah, to yeah. get choked yeah. up about it. And I'm like, hey, man, pull it back, you know. Yeah. And I lost my voice, and I just got really emotional that night standing there. But it was, uh, it was quite a thrill. And to be able to do that in your hometown and, you know, to, to announce a championship like that was, uh, was a very, very special thing. I'll never, ever forget that. Yeah, it, it it was spectacular, um, and I was 11 when uh, the Browns <laughs> won the championship. So you know, I'm a few years, six years older than you. So I was uh, actually at the stadium with my dad and my brother. So I had that memory kind of packed into the right corner of my brain the night that the Cavs won the championship mm. in, at Oracle. And of course, I was at Oracle, and you know, I was just doing my job. I was looking. I was like. Seek and destroy. I have to interview this guy. I got to get that guy. I want to talk to J.R. Smith. Got to talk to Kyrie. Got to get LeBron. Got to, and getting the alums that were parked outside the locker room and just having fun in that moment, but yet realizing you're still doing a job. And in some ways, I would have rather have been in the heart of the, the city streets of Cleveland amidst all the Clevelanders just going crazy to enjoy that, to soak it up. But, you know, we have jobs to do in I was performing my job that night and it was, you know, a night that obviously I'll never uh, forget. And you would hope that the city does, uh, you know, get something of that nature, um, you know, again in the future as well, you would hope. Oh yeah. And they deserve it. And I think, you know, just the reaction of people and just the, you know, the wait was over and finally, finally after, and I don't think, you know, obviously team cities have had their, their share of heartbreak, but I mean, come on. We we are we're right up there with getting your heart ripped out, as as everybody yeah. knows. So it was um it was just just terrific on all those levels, all those emotional levels for sure. Benny, now one of your boys is in the business, and what is that like for you as a guy that that started out you know after college and and now your son had gotten into the business and doing reporting and stuff like that. Well, you know, all the boys over the years when I got to CNN were were involved in little skits that I would do on television. So they had been around it as kids uh, a lot and speaking parts and, and so on. So they've been in the studio. And I think for them, it's like anything else. If you're you know, a son of a baseball player, you grew up around it. You, you know, you're, it's not as second age. It's, it's, yeah, easy. it's yeah. not as awe in, inspiring. So um, the middle one, Adam decides um, he wants to do it. And then we had a, we had a resume tape made and he ended up uh, doing news and sports in Sarasota. Now, He's no longer uh, doing that down there. He um, he got to the end of a contract and he wanted to shift gears a little bit. He's doing he works for the Bureau of Tourism in Sarasota. He does all of their video content, writing, interviews, and pr- packaging and things like that. So mm-hmm. I think for him, he was still able to use the skills of television to to apply to his new job. And I know he liked that very much. And in fact, John, he liked as you he had a Friday night football show as you do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that was his uh, that was his favorite thing. He loved that Friday night high school football show. He just that was his thing, and I think that was the toughest thing for him to give up uh, yeah. when he went into a, a new era, of the new job rather. But um, I, you know, it's probably like you. I never I never pushed those guys into thinking. You know, if you wanted, I think your passion is your passion, and yeah. you recognize it. I, for me, I recognize it about nine or ten, ten something like that, more around fifth or sixth grade. And I, that's all I ever wanted to do. So whatever your passion is, that's what you will follow and your heart will follow. And I think sometimes with parents, and this is just my opinion, we think, yeah. well, you want to coach? Well, I don't know if we'll make a lot of money in coaching. And, you know, 
But I think if you're good at whatever you do, money will follow. I always believe that anyway. If you're really good at your profession, you'll be fine. I agree. I, you know, and, and I really kind of um, uh, I lean more towards individuals who um, so follow their passion that he could be 40 years old and he could be in another business and making great money. I mean, you know, maybe uh, Coach Petten of the Cleveland Browns was one of those types of individuals where he was working in finance in some way. Uh, and then he just got some, you know, uh, perfunctory job with, with, I think, the Baltimore Ravens, and they allowed him to do stuff. And then, he, you know, he went from making good money to nothing and then ultimately would become an NFL uh, head coach. And I can cite, you know, chapter and verse of lots of people that do those. Those are the people that I, those are the stories that I want to tell. And I think I think people that have the, you know, the conviction of heart that this is going something that they're very passionate about, even though the other path they were down was so paved with roses and lilies and it was just a sure. great paved road, but they ch- chose the tougher way, but ultimately the bigger payoff. I, I have a lot of respect for people that do that. And, and that's the beauty of being in our business. We tell those types of stories, uh, whether it's an athlete or, or someone that's maybe an executive, you know, look at some of the Cabrad Stevens, right? I mean, you yeah. know, you know, those kinds of, those are, those are the cool stories where people become uh, successful. Well, let me ask you this, Vinny, how do you, um, how do you wear your Cleveland sports passion, you know, <laughs> as living in Atlanta and, you know, I know it was tough when you lived in Florida because you're around a lot of Gator fans and things of that nature. So <laughs> oh wear, my gosh. How do you wear all that stuff down there in Atlanta or where um, for that matter? Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, there's there are quite a few Ohio transplants down here. And, uh, you know, we find each other. I'll see guys in the gym or something with a Ohio State uh, T-shirt on. i be like, oh, H, I O. <laughs> and so we see a lot of Browns fans down here as well. And I will tell you that the Browns are gaining momentum with fans. As they're getting a lot of fans that are coming aboard um, to, you know, see what this team can be. It's – um, I, I guess you just – um. No matter where you are, you, you find uh, you find places to enjoy that. Whether it's at home for me, I mean, on the ticket, or you know, heading out somewhere that might be showing an Ohio State game. I'm still a big Buckeye fan as well. Right. And then you know, the tribe. I'll try to watch the tribe as much as I can. I I just don't think you ever lose it. Um, it was funny. My my sons were, <laughs> were all Cleveland fans, but a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, before the winless season or during. My youngest son, Alex, we call him Lou. His nickname's Lou. Lou right. He said, Dad, look, I, I love you, but I, I, I'm I, going to follow the Falcons this year. Um, I just, I really can't. Like, we had to have this heart-to-heart. He goes, I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> he, he couldn't take the heartbreak of, of watching Browns football, which was brutal uh, there for a while. But I think he's come back around a little bit. I, you know, everyone knows I'm a Cleveland fan. I always have and down here. So, I mean, you're, you're professional, like you said, John, but you know, you're always pulling, pulling for those, uh, those Cleveland teams. Yeah. I'm a, you know, uh, obviously uh, live and die by the Cleveland teams, but, and that's maybe, maybe one final um, aspect of our business that um, I may want to ask you a question or two about. We, you know, we are journalists. We, do our jobs. And unless you're like kind of paid by the club, you still have to have that degree of impartiality. Mm -hmm. And I try like crazy to be down the middle, but there still is that aspect of, Hey, I'm, I'm covering Cleveland teams. 
So you'd have to be an idiot to assume that I have no interest in the outcome of this game. Right. So how do you, how 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 do you um, if you're you know reporting on something keep your own interests in the outcome of the game away from how you report on the oh, game itself? Well, you just you you have to be unbiased. You can't be partial. You cannot you can't cheerlead, John. Remember the old nope. you know when I first I got that. to. When I got to the old stadium in the press box in, in yep. Cleveland and uh, you'd watch a Browns game and I think I did cheer a little bit and man, those, you know, old timers, they, they you know. glared at, oh my gosh, hey, hey, you know, pipe down <laughs> and, you know, glare at you and then you realize you're, you have a job to do and I think that if you get too caught up in the fanhood of this thing or the fandom, then you're not going to do your job well and tell the story well because you're, right. you're, you're, you're being too emotional about it. And in the, at the end of the day, I hate that term, but at the end of the day, we are talking at the end of the day. We're, the yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we, as we on television, we, we have to, we disseminate and pass along information about your teams. We, we're giving you information and we have to do our best to give that information in an impartial way and a factual way so that you can draw your own conclusions about things. Now, naturally you can editorialize a little bit, but yeah, you, you can't, and I see it a lot now on social media where guys will hashtag, you know, go tiger or hashtag. Yeah. I, I can't do it. I, you can't. I, yeah. I try you, not to. I agree. You can't with you. cheerlead, man. You just yep. can't. Yep. I agree. I'm old school when it comes to that stuff. And I know we're in a time where we're taking, you know, pictures with athletes and we're buddying up to guys, but you know, you, you've got to be objective or else I feel like you're really not doing a service to the viewer. That's just, and I think I learned that, you know, to bring this full circle, that's where I learned it back at, uh, at, at eight, you know, in Cleveland. I remember writing something about, <laughs> and I believe, you know, and somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but someone said, kid, nobody gives a burn what you, what, what you yeah. think. They use the F word. They did. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. And yep. that's, that's how harsh, and that always stuck with me all these yeah. years later. Yeah, you just can't let it get in the way as much as you want to and as much as every fiber of your being, you know, wants to shout to the mountaintops or have too close of a relationship with a player. I had a real close relationship with Joe Charbonneau when I first got to Cleveland because uh -huh. it was 1980. He was the rookie of the year. I'm there in September. I just get to the station. And so he's, um, you know, a month later, he's named the rookie of the year. Right. He's the toast of the town. And he was just a guy that I really – gravitated towards and we were just really good buddies we played racquetball um we did a lot of things away from the ballpark as it were and then you know i just, i don't think i had uh an objective look as to where his career was going he had bad a bad back and his career was kind of going away rather quickly and i just didn't see that so i lost in some ways a little bit of my objectivity so uh that was the early lesson uh and, you, know, you know, but ha having said that, John, go Browns. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, and with that, we will close the phenomenal Vince Cellini of <laughs> oh, <laughs> so much fun. television fame. Great catching up with you, my friend. Same. And and uh, I guess I can say that on a podcast, but you just did, so I'll I'll echo your words as well. Good luck to you, Lisa, and the, the family, and uh, we'll catch up with each other in the flesh, as it were. Yeah, Johnny, I, I I appreciate it, and to those people who are listening to this, listen, uh, John. 
John is such a good guy, and he's helped so many of us in this business. You can see his uh, – it's not his coaching tree. It's his broadcasting tree of people that, uh, that he's helped along the way and, and really a genuine person. And I want to say this, John, for everyone because I've said it to you. You know, when I started, you could have been very cold and resistant and felt threatened by a young guy, and you were, you were none of those things. You were very helpful, and, you know, you were like my big brother, and you looked out for me, and, and I, I – you know, I, I'm always indebted to you for that. And I mean, that's that's a big part of any success that I've ever had is uh, is because of that, those early years. So I thank you for that. I thank you for your kind words, too. And with that, we will close. Thanks, Vinny. Talk to you soon, bud. Take care, JT. Thanks very much to Vince for taking the time to chat with me. And I must say, I'm very, very pleased and proud at the great career that Vince has been able to fashion after he left Channel 8 back in 1989. He has done very, very well, and that's a point of pride for yours truly. If you like what you heard on this episode or the previous 24 episodes of Tellage Talks, please subscribe and rate. Rate us five stars. We'd love to have that and then spread the word if possible. And until the next time, we'll see you when we come back with Tellage Talks. Goodbye, everybody.